0: Hey, my name's Emma.
1: Hey, my name's Maddie.
0: And you're listening to The Pilots Pandemic. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Pilots Pandemic. You're here with your host, Emma, and our co host, Maddie.
1: What up, what up, guys?
0: And this week we're kind of going to be covering the max crashes in full, in its full entirety. I know we've kind of dabbled on the subject a little bit, but we haven't dedicated a whole episode to it. So that's what this week is going to be.
1: Yeah. You know, I really have like a affinity for plane crashes. It's like a morbid thing for me. And I feel like you and I both like we read into the news all the time and we're like dude this plane crash happened this plane crash happened and I don't know why I like reading about I think it's like that investigatory like process like that Mm -hmm. that's why I love doing it so um yeah today I'm kind of excited to get into the the max stuff and really dive into it especially like the FAAs take and and their Culpability in why this happened. So, yeah, um, I do want to
0: give a little bit of a trigger warning before we get into this week's episode that we are going to be discussing plane crash, um, which is associated with death, obviously. Um, so, if that is going to trigger you, this is definitely not the episode for you.
1: Yes. Yeah, so. Today, like Emma said, we're going to cover the events that took place in, I believe, 2019, 2020, where corporate greed really played a role in the max air crashes of Lion Air and Ethiopian Airlines. And the oversight, our government regulator, also known as the FAA, led to the biggest airline disaster of the 21st century. Um, And we want to talk about this because the most recent documentary that came out called Downfall, a case against Boeing, came out, I think it was last week. And Emma and I both watched it like right away. Immediately. So, yeah, <laughs> immediately. We're like texting each other back and forth about it. So we wanted to break it down because, in our own opinion, they really brushed over the FAA's oversight. And that's something that's very important in what both Emma and I do and pushing for change for air medical reform and mental health and aviation. Definitely. Um, definitely.
0: Yeah. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this because we're kind of going to be, I mean, dog in the fa a little bit because like maddie just said this is a huge i don't even know the word for it it's just for our government to have handled it this way is is just insane to me
1: yeah the i i don't even know like the words really explain like the egregious like behavior that they had and it's because it's already happened and now we already know what happened and we're looking at it from hindsight it's not surprising but it still is surprising you know yeah. um, so yeah. i'm gonna read the background of the crashes this is just from wikipedia so you guys kind of if you don't know or haven't watched the documentary it's going to give you just like a background of what happened. So it says the Boeing 737 Max passenger airline liner was grounded worldwide between March, 2019 and December, 2020 longer in many jurisdictions after 346 people died in two crashes, Lion Air flight 16, 610, sorry on October 29, 2018 and Ethiopian Airlines flight 302 on March 10th, 2019. The US federal aviation administration resisted grounding the aircraft until March 13, 2019, when it received evidence of accident similarities. By then, 51 other regulators had already grounded the plane, and by March 18, 2019, all 387 aircraft in service were grounded.
0: So this is super interesting to me because a lot of the themes that you see are a lot of victim blaming and shame placed on the other airlines for being, you know, Asian or the Ethiopian airlines and the way that their governments run things and, oh, they're not up to our safety standards. Well, I think it's very telling that 51 other regulators rounded that aircraft before ours did and were like I said last week, we're supposedly just all around the safest, the best. How, like, how can you even say that? Yeah. 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 It's just, that's wild to me. But like Maddie said, one of the biggest reasons the culmination of these crashes came together is point blank corporate greed and the changing of what once was safety at the workplace of Boeing before the merger of the McDonnell Douglas. And this is something that we all need to be aware of, because, as you know, in the airline world, when companies merge, we don't know how that's going to change the culture. And we definitely need to keep our eyes out for those changes, because like we saw with the Boeing McDonnell Douglas merger a huge shift in workplace environment i mean to see what happened was just honestly so sad
1: i feel like we always need to pay attention to any merger and i think oftentimes it's like the at least in the airline world people only care like where their seniority is pilots they're like oh my seniority is going to be messed up and i don't know what that's going to mean for me and the base that i have and all that but honestly we never really think about how safety will be compromised. And although it shouldn't be, that's really what happened with the McDonnell Douglas Boeing merger. Like Boeing, because it's based here in Seattle area, um, Everett, Washington. And uh, I'm literally like an hour from the main base there. Um, And so Boeing has always been like huge in Washington culture and it provides a lot of jobs. And I think that- The big thing that happened was Boeing was so focused on safety before the merger that I don't think they even thought that that would change the culture. Like, and then little by little over time, they started witnessing like, wow, there's a big focus on shareholder profits and Wall Street, and I think the workers were taken back by that. They were like, is this really happening? And I don't think until you know they started seeing it in real time, how much that merger, like changed the culture, which is frustrating because Boeing was so safety focused and oriented. And to hear the workers like talk about how much it changed was like really hard, you know?
0: Yeah. And it was, I don't know, it was especially hard to see how working at Boeing. And I think still to this day, saying that you work for Boeing was always such a highly respected position and the amount of respect that these workers had for themselves for the company it seemed like these people loved their job they really did I it seems like there was a lot of passion from the employees and to see the change like this was just super disheartening um I mean and how many I don't have the number on it but they fired so many people I mean it it, it was yeah. ridiculous what it was like something like 30 it was something crazy like 30,000 people
1: yeah I think I I think it was like 3,000 but I'm oh. not for sure <laughs> I'm like 30,000 like 30,000 but because uh, I don't think it was as massive a of a company as it is now um but I think it was quite a big amount of people and I actually forgot about that point when they're their way to cut costs, they were cutting employees and they were cutting their safety officers that overlooked mm-hmm. um, product safety, obviously. Yes.
0: So you'd have like four normally, or like it was it, some number, like four or five, and they cut yeah. it down to just one person. And I they interviewed one of those people and just them talking about what it was like to have that much stress. You talk about mental health. Holy shit.
1: Mm. I mean, How do you go home every day and you know, like, I wanna do a better job. I wanna make this a safe aircraft, but also knowing upper management is telling you, well, if you have another safety report on this aircraft, we're gonna cut your pay. And it's like, okay, a lot of people can look, like I said, hindsight's 2020 20, and say, well, he should have just stuck with his guns and always been about safety, but pe- this is people's livelihoods too. Yeah. So it's like that stress one itself, he could have been like the sole breadwinner for his family. And he's trying to balance like safety and providing, and that yeah. would be really a huge toll on your mental health.
0: So as we all know, like moving forward, how much, you know, Boeing has competed with Airbus and that's what really drove the the design and the creation of the MAX. It was designed because the company was so obsessed with shareholder profits, aka stocks, Wall Street. And when they started doing these cost cuts and redesigns, they realized, "Oh crap, well we're we're winning on the money side of this, but we're not winning as far as the the bigger picture of this. So Mm -hmm. once the Airbus rolls out the A320neo, they're like, oh shit, what are we going to do? And basically they go balls to the walls on redesigning the 737 to compete with Airbus. So this was all really, you know, and that's that's another sad part about it is you see a lot of this is fueled by, like you said, corporate greed, but also competition.
1: Oh yeah, like- and so then it like comes to the question, is that like ethical, like to have competing airlines? Because when, they, when they're competing, they're obviously trying to cut costs in order to make more money. And yeah. this is exactly what happened. They, like Emma said, they, instead of making a whole new aircraft, because they knew that was going to cost more money, they're like, well, we already got the 737. We've reworked it a million times. So let's rework it again and make the max for fuel efficiency because that's yeah. the A320 NEO yeah. was like such a fuel-efficient aircraft, and that's why it exploded. And and Boeing didn't have a new aircraft when the NEO was out. So it was like, how are we going to compete? So they're like, let's rework the 737. And the
0: 737, I mean, I don't know how old that plane is, but it is pretty old. I mean, they've been pushing the 737 for a while now. So I almost think they, when they did this, you could tell there was an air of embarrassment. They wanted to have the blueprints and the plans for a whole new airplane, but they just didn't have it. So like you said, Maddie, in turn, they made the 737 Boeing engines bigger, right? Or yeah. well, it would have been the, isn't it like a Rolls Royce or something like that? I don't know. I need to know more about like, systems of jets but as you all know i'm just not that much (laughs) of an av geek to know all that but because they did that they implemented the MCAS system which we're going to talk about a lot but basically when they put those bigger engines on it fucked with the weight and balance so essentially they had to push the engines more forward so it was more susceptible to stalling hence why they introduced the MCAS system. And then on top of that all, to save money again, because Boeing didn't want, like for them, I guess the way that they explained it is like, if they were to create a new aircraft or introduce a new system, all the airlines and everyone in the FAA gets involved for new training. They have to retrain the pilots in the sim, right? Is that how it, yeah. Yeah. So So, like,
1: at United, like let's just use United as an example. Any aircraft you fly there, so you can be trained in the 737, but if you're going to switch to the 757, you have to be, you have to go back to sim training and retrain that air, relearn that aircraft because it's totally different. For for Boeing, even though it was the same aircraft, they didn't want for the selling point, they didn't want to, to say, oh, you have to get sim training because there's this new augmentation system, the MCAS system. And they thought, well, it's just like a minute detail. So they already know how to fly a 737 and it's not a big enough change. So they don't need some training was no, their absolutely. selling point for it.
0: And there lies the problem with the MCAS system and why it malfunctioned because nobody was, I mean, there were some people and we are we're, we're going to get to that, but majority of people were not trained on the system. They had no clue that it even existed.
1: Yeah. So for the, the first crash, the Lion Air crash, no one knew about the MCAS system. So that's, that is the problem. And, um, the system relies on a single point. So the angle of attack point, there are two angle of attack points on the plane, but they c- connected the MCAS system to only one angle of attack point. So that was the problem with the engineers. They were like, well, we wanted it to be connected to both because it's a critical point of flight. And so with the Lion Air, the angle of attack point was replaced the day before the crash. And I think that one was faulty. And that's why it triggered the MCAS system into a nose down. And obviously everyone knows they weren't able to correct it, but they also had no idea about the system. So it's like, how were they gonna, it just seems so scary to like not know about the system in the plane that you're flying. Um, I know.
0: when I was watch watching when I was watching this it I mean I hate to cut you off but I like that was a strong point that I thought about when I was watching this documentary is to I mean there have been instances like I know I, I've only flown like teeny tiny little airplanes but I remember one of the biggest mistakes I made was I left the trim in when I went to Take off and I start rolling down the runway and I'm pulling up and I'm like, what the what the fuck's happening? Rookie mistake. I immediately looked down and realized my trim wheel was spun and spin it back to neutral, pull out power and you know, taxi back. I'm not gonna take off. But that was one of the scariest feelings I had ever felt in my life. Feeling the airplane fight against me like that was. That's just that's a sickening feeling. I can't even imagine what it was like for this air this airplane to just take over like that. I just mm. and at mm-hmm. least for you,
1: Emma, like you knew what was happening and you were able to correct it for the Lion Air pilots. They literally had no idea what was going on. They, I mean, they obviously had some airmanship and they were trying yeah. to pilot the plane, but like at the end of the day, they didn't know the root cause was the system in place. And, and that's kind of what's fucked up is that they didn't know at all. And, and then they were blamed for it also. So, um, I just wanted to read this quote by CNN, um, in an article that they, They wrote out to the public says the device linked to the Boeing 737 Max software that has been scrutinized after two deadly crashes was previously flagged in more than 200 incident reports submitted to the FAA, but Boeing did not flight test a scenario in which it malfunctioned. CNN has learned the angle of attack sensor, as it's known, sends data to a 737 Max software system that pushes the nose of the aircraft down if it senses an imminent stall that software triggered by erroneous data from AOA sensors is believed to have played a role in crashes of Lion Air and Ethiopian airline jets. So, and the point that we're trying to make is that there was only one AOA or angle of attack transmitter when there should have been two connected to the MCAS system. And because that system was set up that way, the pilots were not able to safely land the plane and also that they they noted this in the documentary that the pilots only had 10 seconds to react to the MCAS system and then in five seconds the MCAS system would deliver that like nose down and just so you guys know there was no there was no stall happening it was just a malfunction of the software
0: yeah yeah I mean, and and stuff like that can happen in smaller aircraft, but it's not going to affect your systems, like your actual, the system, like systems that actually come into play at critical points of flight. You know, most of the time you're aware of these things and you're picking up on them, but yeah, these people had no clue. How can you know if you didn't even know it existed? So, yes. I mean, imagine being on takeoff, you're this, this happened at takeoff, both these crashes, right?
1: Yeah. I, I believe within first five to 10 minutes of flight is when, yeah. So you're,
0: place. you're at takeoff and I mean, you've got full power and I mean, obviously you got to be watching out for stalling, but just like you said, there there was no indication of a stall. They were not stalling. They had more than enough airspeed. And in one case, they had too much airspeed. But I mean, what was it like for the pilots inside of the cockpit? Like nobody can really imagine what the reality of what that was like but i can tell you it was probably extremely distracting you have an unreliable airspeed situation you have all these bells and whistles going off in the airplane that's either telling you you're going too fast too slow when in reality you're just fine and i think for a lot of airline pilots and you know tell me if i'm wrong but one of the biggest things we learn in our instrument rating is that you have to trust the plane. And I'm assuming because all flights, even if it's a VFR day, all flights for corporate aircraft or IFR. So I'm, I'm assuming you're really trusting your gauges is what you're taught at that stage. At that point in your career, you're really taught to trust your gauges. So you don't expect these things to be wrong. And for it to happen this way you're you're trained for them to be faulty and you're trained how to fix it but they weren't trained for this um you know the lion air pilots they had no idea about the mcas system and sully was quoted saying this was the fight of their lives in the fight of their lives which i don't i'm like yeah (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. It really I can was. only fucking imagine like, and I shouldn't be laughing, but it's just like, I think sometimes people try and make it more deep than it actually is. When in reality, that's, that's a disaster. That's like, not the fight of their lives in the fight of their lives. That's the worst moment of their lives. They're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think anyone really wants to bullface say that because nobody wants to accept the reality of what that was like to actually sit there and be a passenger and look out the window while that's happening.
1: Like, yeah, I wanted to mention, too, now that you mentioned that, that just cued like my brain. So this happened before and I believe it was on another line Air, but this allegedly let's put the allegedly quote in there. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> but- It had happened before there was a Czech airman though in the jump seat and he knew what to do and was able to land the plane, but there was a passenger. And I think it's in the article that we'll link in this uh, CNN article or ABC news. Can't remember. Um, But the, one of the passengers was quoted in there and they said it was like so scary because of the nose down effect of the plane. So they, they literally think they're going to die because they're like, why is the plane nosing down when we're taking off and we're not even leveled out? Yet. yeah um so yeah i mean of course it's going to be scary it's going to be and for those people who are deathly afraid of flying like i can't even imagine i would i don't know i what probably I would, would do, have you know? died
0: before everyone else did from a fucking heart attack
1: yeah like you're like anxiety like an anxiety attack you just like pass out because you can't get enough air you're breathing it- so hard <laughs>
0: I read one article, and I mean, obviously, trigger warning, you guys, but I read one article that said that like they would have been like violently thrown up and down, like some people would have lost consciousness before it even hit the ground because of like the the thrust of everything, um, because of how dramatic. And how fast the movements were—it it made it seem like. I mean, what happened was extremely violent. But yeah,
1: it reminds me of like a, a roller coaster effect, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, so. that's what somebody said. It would have been like it would have been like being in the car in a car and cresting the top of a hill. You know how your stomach kind of
1: yeah you like feel your up.
0: equilibrium go up? Yeah, but yeah. you're going down. That's what they said it would have felt like before. It would have gotten really, really out of control, but. Anyways, going on. The the Ethiopian pilots did have training. It was very minimal, but they had done the correct list for the MCAS system by turning off the stab trim. But they also only had, like Maddie said, those te- 10 seconds to react. And this is the saddest part about it all is I guess they were so distracted that they kept their airspeed, they kept their thrust in all the way. So their airspeed was at takeoff speed. Um, and because of that, they were a, unable to manually trim the airplane and the excessive speed is what caused them to, to basically, I mean, they incinerated when they crashed the, then this is why I think it's so important that you guys go and watch this because to to see the crater there was i think it was like almost 10 feet or 30 feet deep um where they had been they were going so fast that the plane just completely incinerated on impact and left like a crater yeah it just and uh, and i mean i know that's like rough to hear like nobody wants to hear about this kind of stuff but like if that's your family, you are thinking about it. You're thinking about it every single day. So I'm not going to give people the luxury to sit here and not have this conversation. You know what I mean? This is yeah. real life and this is what Boeing did. And this is what, you know, our federal, our, our administration allowed this to potentially happen to in in our country, to our citizens,
1: you know, that's, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, so the, the captain of the Ethiopian Airlines, this is another sad part. Captain of the Ethiopian Airlines was one of the youngest. Actually, he was the youngest pilot they had ever hired, right? Yep,
1: yep.
0: And he had nine years in the 737, but the FO, the FO only had 300 hours in the 737. So it seems like you had one person that was... Really, really familiar, and somebody who I would assume would be familiar, but you've got a rookie and like a, a vet.
1: yeah, like a senior senior captain.
0: Yeah, and it would have been all hands on deck when this MCAS system would have gone off. I mean, they would have like the biggest part of this, if the pilots would have been trained and they would have been prepared, like three hundred and forty six people might still be here today, you know. If these people knew what was coming for them, they would have been able to prepare for it. But imagine, it's just like you said, imagine having a system to completely take over and you don't even know what to do to fix it. And, and in one of these cases, you can fix it, but you've already made a mistake because you're so, I mean, the situational stressors, the human factors of this, it's-
1: Yeah.
0: And it's I think even
1: for Ethiopian, like even though they were trained- it, even though it was like very minimal training that they had, the system was still not updated, and so they had to make major updates after the Ethiopian crash. So I still, even if they were able to not focus on all those bells and whistles going off, and even if they never turned back on the stab trim to change the trim because they couldn't manually change it, that's really what led to it. Is they had to turn back on the MCAS system, and that they nose down again. Like I still think like it's not their fault. This, this should have been something that had been worked through by the FAA and it shouldn't never, should never happened. It shouldn't ever happen. And honestly, should, after a Lion Air, they should have grounded the planes. And mm-hmm. that's really the troubling thing is they still allowed Boeing to, you know, give them the whole facade of, oh, this plane's fine. You know, it's not us, it's them. And that's really messed up. And I feel so bad because I remember the Lion Air wife getting on there and being like, I had to listen to Boeing and their CEO say like it's their the pilot's training and her husband was trained in the US.
0: I know. I know. That was <laughs> okay. and and the the just the blatant racism. You yeah. know, that's what that's what really set me off is like they're literally telling him they're essentially saying it's not our plane, we make the best planes. It's your it's the pilot's fault because he's foreign because he doesn't look like us because he flies for a non-american airline when like you just said he literally received his fucking training in the united states how ass backwards like and i love how they immediately discredit the training it's like they immediately go to discredit their training as if they and they don't want to like put it on the airline either it was like, oh, let's let's think about his training, like his private pilot training, his instrument training. Like, let's dig all the way back. We're not thinking about how the airline trains or how the airline is implementing this training. I, yeah,
1: it's, it's just, just like the deflection, because obviously we always say this liability is always the thing. And and Boeing didn't want to take any blame for what happened because they knew if they did, they'd be losing money. And their whole point of this whole situation and building this plane and having the MCAS system is to make money. So they obviously were going to do whatever they could. And I just, it's just so insensitive because like, you know, like my dad died in a plane crash and I'm just thinking about those people on the plane. And, and the first thing that anyone thinks about when their loved one dies in a plane crash is like, were they scared and did they feel anything? Did they have any pain? And then to just hear the the deflection, the facade of all these things and Boeing saying, oh, it's the pilot's problem. or, And you know how many people blamed the pilot after Boeing came out and said that? How many families at first were like, yeah, the, what's wrong with the pilot? Why, you know? Like I can yeah. only imagine how his wife felt when everyone was pointing the finger at her husband and saying it was his fault. And that's what's really disheartening is like, this woman probably faced a lot of grief for one. And then, hi, Moose. Um, (laughs) Sorry,
0: guys. He's just been acting out recently. I don't even have him in the room this time. He's still going to find a way to be a part of each and every single episode.
1: He loves to say a little, like, woof to me. Yeah, he always does it with so
0: much sass. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa.
1: But yeah, so getting back to, you know, just the grief that this woman had felt and then for, you know, Boeing and the CEO, Molenberg, I think was his name, to just like point the finger and say, oh, it was his training and he's trained in the Uni- United States is just like, thank you for that. You know, that was like a big F you. Um, and, and still he it's just like- He couldn't even look
0: oh. at the families.
1: Yeah, he can't even say sorry. That's the big thing for me is like, them not the FA for one not being able to say sorry and then Mullenberg not being able to say sorry. Like he and when he looked at the families, because I remember in the the dock he was he like looked back maybe for like five seconds because they're all holding up pictures of their family who died on in these crashes
0: he was like forced though like the the dude made him told him him, you need to turn around and look at the people behind you like the judge or somebody asked them to stand up and for him to turn around but he had to be asked to turn around
1: It's just like, why couldn't he make just like a sincere apology from a human circumstance, you know, like human, human, be a man about things and, and say, sorry, like that you did this. Like, why can't you just apologize? That's the most upsetting part is that he, he in, in time, like took the blame from defazio defazio is like you are to blame he's like yeah me and and people that work for me are to blame but really he never took the time to just say sorry and sincerely and that's kind of what i think is the most messed up part about it
0: oh yeah when you got all this like big dick energy you're gonna act like (laughs) oh you're king shit nobody can fucking touch you and then you don't even have the balls to turn around and just say I'm extremely sorry for your loss. This is a tragic event in history. We are going to do everything that we can possibly think of to right our wrongs. It's that fucking easy. I don't even have it written goddamn down.
1: I know. And then you know what? Also, just like boils my blood is that he got um, let go, obviously had to resign, but he got a $67 million. Oh, I know it's (sighs) blood money, dude. I mean, you literally kill people. That's blood money
0: that was the mo- i mean by the end of this documentary i was ripping my hair out because honestly no justice has been served i'm going to be completely honest like he lost his job but he walked away with 60 million dollars
1: yeah he's that's he's not that's not like highlight. losing your
0: job he's literally yeah now he's retired with 60 million dollars i'm like that's not justice that's not Oh, oh my God. But this is everything in our country. This is everything in aviation. Everyone. Mm -hmm. It's deflection, deflect, 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 deflect till we damn die. And it's all and I hate to say it. And we've been on this. And listen, I love men. Okay. Like there (laughs) has to, I love, I love each and every single one of you. And it's not your fault. But it always seems to be a cis white male, old white fucking asshole that is always the center of this. And it's like, (sighs) why? The evil and they never get in trouble. They never fucking get in trouble. Privilege privilege, privilege, privilege. I swear to God, like it, this person should be in jail. They have the evidence and they have like the literal written documentation of them talking about the MCAS system. And I'm sorry, but like, y'all got to go watch this documentary because the shit that they said in these meetings is just like I don't understand how you can say something like that and not be in jail or not be getting sued or it's just, it's insane to me how people can walk away from this. And yet there is, there was so much victim blaming. Like, like you said, the wife, I can't imagine how she felt. And then the other, it was the daughter, right? of one of the captains. Yeah.
1: Um I think it was just one of the passengers on the plane cuz he the one that went to Ethiopia, right? Uh
0: there was there was a white guy who had like a daughter who was on there but he oh. then like had gotten connected with I think oh, was I know the-
1: Samia mm-hmm. Stumo. Yeah, so her mom or or dad who was on the dock they're actually, it was Ralph Nader's niece and Ralph Nader is really big in the public sector and fighting for um, legislative change too. And so he actually is the one who helped them push for change. And he told them, you need to go after the the head of Boeing. So that's, I think that's why it got such a big push is because it was Ralph Nader's niece. Um, and thank God, you know, thank God there was someone that could help and, and lead them into how to change this and push for some, some actual, you know, justice.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this documentary definitely had a large focus on Boeing, but our focus, we're going to kind of switch this to the FAA I mean they're in charge of keeping the skies safe and the public safe and in this instance they completely sold out like we've been talking about and in this documentary like there's a small part where they kind of talk about the FAA's faults but it's small but what they had to say and this is so funny to me about this kind of stuff is it was the tiniest part but yet it was the most revealing part of the whole documentary mm-hmm. so the faa did a risk assessment on the max after the lion air crash coming to the conclusion that over 40 a span of 45 years there would be a series of 15 more catastrophic events with the max if they kept it in the sky and they did that assessment with the t- t- Taram Taram. Ta- I know it's yeah, not or, TAR-RAM. or TARAM.
1: TARAM. That's I mean, an acronym T A R A M. So, so
0: TARAM stands for Transport Airplane Risk Assessment Methodology. So, Maddie, give the little statistic that kind of breaks this down into terms that are a little bit more understandable.
1: So Uh, As Emma had quoted like the term report by the FAA said that there would be 15 more catastrophic events in 45 years. So basically, if we're going to put this into like layman's terms, if we wanted to think about it in a like uh, numbers type of way, we would say one third of the 45 year span would amount to a plane crash if there was a crash each year for 15. So what they're saying is, if you were to Parse out the crashes. So every year, if there was a crash, one crash every year for 15 years, that would be one third of the 45 years or 33%. So basically 33% chance of a crash happening if you were to get on a max. And that's kind of scary. That's kind of telling of like no, that's okay. like
0: way too high of a statistic.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the FA was okay with that. That's the thing that I'm like okay you did this report and you know the risk and you're you need to be at zero percent because your overall goal is to is aviation safety to keep the public safe and yet you're okay with this tarum report statistic of 15 fatal crashes over over 45 years like that doesn't make any sense
0: yeah so ABC News article says, quote, in December, the ha- House of Democrats released a Federal Aviation Administration (FA) risk report, which showed the potential of more than 15 fatal crashes over the life of the MAX fleet for about 45 years if no change was made to MCAS, end quote.
1: Yeah. So that was just kind of like the summary of what we've been talking about. Um, So they knew that there was that risk and a high risk at that. Um, So I also am going to read an excerpt from the hearing from the transportation infrastructure board, which is in their, their, it's like a huge document. I think it was like 60 pages, but it says we have interviewed and spoken with FAA employees and Boeing whistleblowers, among others. These documents, emails, and interviews are crucial to our investigation, which has uncovered a broken safety culture within Boeing and an FAA that was unknowing, unable, or unwilling to step up, regulate, and provide appropriate oversight of Boeing. The FAA failed to ask the right questions and failed to adequately question the answers that agency staff received from Boeing our investigation has revealed that many of the FAA's own technical experts and safety inspectors believe FAA's management often sides with Boeing rather than standing up for the safety of the public. So that is really hard to hear because we as a public, a flying public, as pilots, trust the FAA to oversee the safety and efficacy of planes and literally what the Transportation Infrastructure Board is saying is that they failed to do so and they could have knowingly done that. And yeah. the report kind of shows that they knowingly were fine with the MAX being in flight and then allowing that percentage of crashes to happen over 45 years.
0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: So we're going to move on to our fun section of questions and today's question. I'm going to ask you again first, because I like asking you first. So if you could be an animal, what animal would you be?
0: (laughs) So like, obviously a bird, but like, I, it's always (laughs) between like a bird and a bear. Like I'm always torn because I feel like a bear is like the apex predator of nature you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I mean think about what's what's really bigger and more vicious than like a grizzly bear or a black bear like an elk is huge but it's not aggressive you know
1: yeah (laughs) but also
0: I want to be a bird because like as a child I always wish that I could just grow some wings and freaking fly around I think that would be the best superpowers just to like be able to fly
1: Bald eagle.
0: Yes, like a bald eagle, or I don't know, like I I really like certain hawks. Like you ever see a really cool hawk or ever hear a hawk screech in the distance? (laughs) You know, that shit's powerful.
1: (laughs) Just don't get sucked up by a jet engine.
0: Yeah, Mm, true. (laughs) I think about that all the time. Like when I'm (laughs) flying, I'm like, man, how do they know? Because I mean, I've always knock on wood, gotten lucky. They normally will just dive like immediately when they see you but
1: dude, they i do always it. think
0: about it and i'm like dude that would suck to be a bird and just be chilling having the Did blast they- catching a thermal riding the <laughs> wave and here yeah. comes a fucking metal bird ready to take <laughs> oh, your dude. life
1: so i have a story on that because my husband he um he was in the queue for 100 and he actually took a uh, eagle to the nose cone so and it, it died like straight in front so it didn't uh pierce the window or anything but it was like right in front so they had to do an emergency landing and I think like the local news people came out and filmed it but all you could see is the bird stayed in the nose count so when he landed like its feet were like splaying out oh I'm my like, god it was an eagle too I was like damn Jess, that's, sad. Yeah. <laughs> that's sad Eagle. yeah that's
0: sad as shit
1: <laughs> he said there was a bunch of them but like that particular bird just like dove straight down i'm like oh man i'm glad i didn't hit the glass though
0: died on impact yeah yeah thank god
1: death. yes but uh for me i don't think it's like hard to guess like if you guys follow me on instagram you know that i have three freaking cats so I would, would be a cat dude. Like, I'd totally want to be a cat I fucking love it and I cats. think of
0: you I think of like a like a leopard or like a jaguar Ooh, something I like, like really like like a big cat not a lion though like you're not giving me that vibe because lions are kind of dirty you're like very yes. sophisticated and like classy and bougie you would be like a leopard or something like that
1: or like a panther like a black yes
0: oh yeah yeah <laughs>
1: climbing trees
0: dude dead ass yeah, you know that is another apex predator you know we're right. kind of similar there like that's another big you know you gotta watch out for them coogs
1: <laughs> yeah for real though they aren't just savage animals so yeah i would totally be a cat i don't know what cat but probably like a big cat just because when i look at my cats i'm like god you guys are like stuck in a in my home as a prison because they're not outdoor cats <laughs> no. uh, that's why I feel bad for them. I'm like, oh my God, you guys should be roaming around, but they're like in a prison cell basically. So. Oh
0: my God, dude. <laughs> I think about that all the time because if you've been listening from the beginning, you know that um my beloved Jack Jack, he ran away for like 38 days into the wilderness, like into the cut. I mean, I'm talking like Bobo land, like yes. ain't no, nothing or nobody out there except for coyotes, hogs, hawks. Um, North Carolina Predators, but I think about it all the time. He, we found him. He came back, thank God. Don't know how he survived. He must really wanted to come home. But now I think about it all the time. I'm like, bro, he will lay in the window, and I'm like, man, you must hate your fucking life.
1: <laughs> I know. He's like, dude, I was living the life outside without you.
0: Anyways, whole tangent about Jacques Jacques, but he is <laughs> a superior cat. if you could live on a planet like if every planet was livable what planet would you live on and why
1: this is gonna bring out like my super nerdy astrology side again but okay so when i was younger i always had an obsession with jupiter and i think it's because it's got that big like circular spiral and it's like all these different colors but now that i've learned more about jupiter and what that planet stands for in astrology it's all about luck like you're Planet Jupiter is all about good luck in your life and where good luck will happen. So I would live on Jupiter because it's the lucky planet.
0: I got you. Okay. I would live <laughs> on planet her. All my Doja <laughs> Cat fans I'm, know what I'm, I'm talking here. about. <laughs> planet Her. Yeah, oh that album God. rocks. Um, but ooh, you know, this is hard for me. Like. I don't know why, but I think I'd live on Pluto just because yeah, yeah. she's small, she's cute, she's adorable, she is the underdog. Um, isn't Pluto the one that they said isn't a planet
1: anymore? Yeah, totally bent, yeah fuck you know? that
0: shit. That's, That's fucked up to exclude somebody like that when. You know, just y- you could literally keep her in there and be like, "Yes, yeah, she's one of the planets of our solar system, but since this day, we don't technically consider a planet she's, of this size to be a she's, planet." She's
1: small. she's too small. But you know, Emma, what's funny? Okay, so I want to tell you what Pluto represents. So in astrology, Pluto is death, dying, regeneration. Oh my fucking god! damn yes. it. sex and taboos.
0: Jesus Christ. Okay. Moving on because I feel doomed. What is the most annoying part about your significant
1: other? Oh God. Um, okay. Let's see here. This is difficult. I'll just follow like the pilot theme with him. Okay. So everyone knows pilots love talking and my husband he was like an amazing CFI because he was able to like teach in so many different ways, which I think is what makes a great CFI is they don't have just one way of teaching something. They can teach in like five different ways. So now like with Jesse, every time he teaches me something, it's this long winded, like 20 minute, like explanation of how to do something. And then I just tell him he's mansplaining and he gets mad at me, but it's seriously, it's like, dude, i i got it the first time you don't need to tell me in a whole different other way how it's done like i understood in the first two minutes but seriously and i'm a listener and so i will just listen but in the back of my mind i'm like i'm so fucking annoyed right now
0: <laughs> like shut the fuck up yeah. If you don't shut up right now you think they're gonna stop talking then they just keep on going <laughs> yeah. like,
1: what like, about you <laughs> what's your, hey. your great annoyance
0: I don't know, you know, like, I mean, my boyfriend and I are coming up on four years, and so I feel like we haven't been together long enough to, like, truly understand the things that are annoying, but recently, bro, it's been a lack of patience, (laughs) like, (laughs) if he wants my attention if I do not swivel my head and give him my undivided attention look him into the windows of his soul it's it's not good enough <laughs> I'm like he wants like I guess it's not even a, a like patience I think it's just that recently he's been demanding like in a lot of attention. Anyways, for now, that is all. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. But even more important than that, please be writing and contacting your congressional and local elected officials. I would like that more than a rating. I would like that more than a review or subscribe. If you wrote me and said, I use the template to send to my local elected officials, that would make me happier than all of that. But... As always, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.